I'm just checking that it is the right reading that I prepared. <laughs> I thought I'd better check because I'd had two different readings during the week given me. So if you'd like to take your Bibles, which are under the seat in front of you, and turn to page 1158, which is the letter of Ephesians written by Paul to the church in Ephesus. And it begins... Chapter 3, verse 14. So the very first verse on that page. And it's a prayer for the Ephesians. And Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What if? What if we really believed the church was actually God's family? That's the question we're going to look at today. Now, I know we all love our families. Uh, Did you hear about the child who asked his mother how were people born and how did people come into the world? So his mother said, Adam and Eve made babies. And then their babies became adults and they made babies. And they became adults and so on and so on goes the journey. And that's how we came about. And the child was very inquisitive and as children do, they try and conquer and divide. Uh, So the child went off to the father and asked him the same question. And he told him, well, we were monkeys. And then we evolved to become like we are now. And the child was rather confused. So the child ran back to his mother and told her what his father had said. And exclaimed to the mother, you lied to me. The mother just looked very calmly back at the child and said, no, no, actually your dad was just talking about his side of the family. (laughs) Now, we really love our families, don't we? 
and we particularly love our in-laws. My favourite in-law joke is, uh, what's the definition of conflicted emotions? It's watching your mother-in-law drive your new car over the cliff. Anyway, I should say at that point, I actually do love my mother-in-law. She's wonderful. But that's the reality though, isn't it? You know, you don't get to pick your families, you just have them. And what we're talking about today is the church is actually our family. Now we saw last week, as we asked the question, what if we believed the gospel? What if we really believed it? What it meant to believe the gospel was that we went from a death-to-life experience We're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our old life is over and we've now got an identity which is a follower of the Lord Jesus. And today, we're looking up again at identity, not in terms of our individual identity as followers of the Lord Jesus, but what that means corporately together. And so, yes, we are individually followers of the Lord Jesus, but corporately we are actually members of God's family. And so in thinking about us being members of God's family, I want to ask the question, is my church family really that important? When we think about families, uh, there's no doubt to me that most of us here, and not all of us, but most of us come out of a Western cultural experience of family. And we have very different cultural, if I can say, background compared to the language of Scripture which comes out of the Middle East. Now, if you looked at the question from a Middle Eastern point of view, which is where the scriptures originate, and you ask them about family, they would have a very different view of the importance of family in our world. I was reading uh, some stuff this week, and in particular, I noted a Middle Eastern council that operates to, if I can say, put forward um, Middle Eastern culture in this uh, country they lived in, over in, it's over in America. And on the website, they describe the importance of the culture for the Middle Eastern person living in America. And the thing I noted was when they spoke about family, they said probably the two most important unifying elements to the regional cultures of the Middle East are family and hospitality. The family unit is an essential part of society throughout the Middle East and it goes far beyond one's immediate family or the average Western definition of an extended family. Family represents the heritage and future of every culture and society. And this is particularly valued in the Middle East. Several generations of family will frequently live in the same village, neighborhood, or even home together. Second, third, fourth cousins are often included in large family celebrations and they're always respected as part of the greater clan. And if you have engaged or spent time with people from Middle Eastern background, you'll know this is the reality. They've got a very different view. It's interesting though when you come to Western culture and family, uh, you can see the size shrinks. And you hear the phrase, the nuclear family. Now, you wouldn't hear that over in the Middle East. You wouldn't hear it in Jesus' day, but it's very much a part and parcel of our culture. We talk about the nuclear family because when you think about family, it's highly individualistic. It's kind of my family. And within that, and if you can throw in, if I can say, our northern beaches context, and it's really pretty typical in Australia in general, we've got an aspirational culture that marries with this individualistic culture. And so rather than being a family that's centred in family and the extended family, typically we've actually turned that on its head and what we've got is an individualistic family that is aspirational and becomes child-centred. And particularly the demographic 
that we are here today. So often, children actually become the centre of the family and what really is family life is all about aspirations for how we develop them so that they have the best supposed success in life. And I'm sure people are very familiar with the term of being a taxi mum or a taxi dad as we jettison them around from one thing to another, all in the name of wanting to be good parents But you do wonder underneath what really is driving the excessive activity that dominates family life. Well, that's the culture we come from. And we come to this question, what if we really believe the church was God's family? And I want to just look briefly at a few biblical ideas from a number of passages to help us think about that. Now, I've asked a question of the parish via email, what have your experiences been of the family here? Because as we think about what if we actually believe we're God's family, I think it's good to be encouraged about the reality of being family. So if you've thought about your own positive experiences of being part of the family here, that's great. We're going to have an open mic uh, shortly. But when you read through the New Testament, there are a number of words that are used in the original language to describe the reality that we're family. The first one... Uh, You can see on the screen in terms of us being a family or household, it's the uh, Greek word oikios. And what it means is we're a household. So you can see the verses up there from Ephesians 2 and Galatians 6. Let me read to you those uh, verses. Paul says about the people of God, and he's described the fact that there's no longer a division between Jewish people or Gentile people. We are one in Christ. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with God's people, and you're members of God's household. Note the language there. You see, when you come to the Lord Jesus and you take on that identity of being his follower, part and parcel with it is you have a new corporate identity. You're part of his household. You're part of his family. Uh, We saw last term with Galatians. This verse Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. In other words, we should care for our neighbours and love them, as Jesus said. But he said, particularly those or especially those who belong to the family of believers. We've got a special responsibility to each other to look after each other. Why? Because we actually are family. So we must love our neighbour, but we actually must absolutely ensure that we love each other because we're family here today. Now, that's one word that's used. Another word that's used Uh, is where we get the word patriarch from. And the word is um, patria, and it means literally the family line or the lineage. It's where you get the concept of kind of the clan that comes underneath the patriarch or the father from Middle Eastern culture. And that's the reading we had today. For this reason, I kneel before the father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And you see, we're part of, if I can say, the clan. And God, our Heavenly Father, is the patriarch. He is the head of the clan. And in Christ, we all belong as part of that family. Now, we often read over these words in verses like this to get to the kind of more meaty parts of the passage. And there's no doubt the reading we had this morning has an incredible prayer for the church. But it's interesting, it starts with, the God who is our Father, who is Father of the family. And it ends by saying he wants to see glory in the church, those who gather in his name. The church is primary in terms of who we understand ourselves 
corporately. Second thing, when you follow Jesus, you're part of his family. Now, the reading I've got up on the screen, Mark 3, 31 to 35, is a fascinating one. And when you read through the Gospels, um, it's very interesting the way Jesus engages with the concept of family because uh, often he is saying, actually, my entrance into the world and my calling of people to follow me will actually tear families apart. There'll be father against mother and brother against sister. I've not come to bring peace but division, he said. And you read this little incident where you have two families gathered outside the building is Jesus' earthly family. Let me pick up the reading from verse 31. Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. And Jesus is inside. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And so you've got two groups, one on the outside and one on the inside. You've got the earthly family on the outside. And Jesus asked those who are gathered inside, well, who are my mother? Who is my mother? And my brothers. And then he looked around at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And you see, it's a, it's a very fascinating passage because here Jesus is actually redefining family in this very short encounter with his own earthly family as he is with those who've gathered to learn from him and follow him. And what he's saying is it's actually those who are following him and serving God. That's who is his family. And you see, when we start to follow Christ and we take on that identity, we join his family. It's not something you kind of join in another motion or another decision. You'll be a Christian and I'll think about joining the church. Actually, when you follow Christ, you are now part of the family. You're part of the church. And so it's a very striking reality here because he's acknowledging that he has got an earthly family, but he's saying actually there's a more primary family that exists. And it really is an eternal family. It's the one that belongs to the Father through the Son. So our primary identity is actually not our earthly family. You see, as a father married with my beautiful wife and kids, we find our identity as family within the greater reality that we're part of God's family. Think through that. As members of God's family, what you note is the need for all of us to grow up. Now, given what we've said, that family is, if I can say, a key motif for how you understand the people of God, it won't surprise you then that the language of family is described, uh, used to describe the reality of Christian growth and ministry. And so you can have a look at this one, first one on the screen. New Christians are described as newborn children. Now, the most famous phrase for this is the Lord Jesus who said, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And you can see this, the Apostle Peter picks up the same um, idea, like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. When a person comes to Christ, it is a new birth. 
They're like a newborn child. Now, we celebrate lots of newborn births. We've had a baptism this morning uh, with Frankie. It's been wonderful. We also celebrate and see the reality of spiritual births. Now, the difference is people might be 10, they might be 60 when they come to faith. But the same thing is true, though. They're like a newborn child. They join a family. And it's interesting, young Christians are called to grow up into maturity. Have a look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 and 2. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. And you see the language there of childhood and families and parents helping their children grow up. And what he's saying is, um, I actually can't address you as though you are mature adults, Corinthian church. You're actually still infants. You need to grow up and mature. I had to give you milk because that's all you could cope with. 1 Corinthians 14, he picks up that theme again. Sorry, I'll just go back. Um, He says, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children in regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking be adults. And you see there's this progress in family life of people growing up to take responsibility. And the third thing uh, we've got here is members of God's family, we all need to grow up uh, into maturity. And Christian maturity is equated in part with being spiritual parents. And this is the fascinating thing, the way Paul describes his ministry. He says in 1 Thessalonians, we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. And in Christ Jesus, he said, I became your father through the gospel. Let me summarize it. We are a family of God's people. And like any family, there are newborn children. There are kids. There are teenagers who need to grow up. There are young adults who are starting to be responsible and earn their own way and contribute to the family by serving and giving. There are parents who are looking after children. And there are wise grandparents who we just have to have love to have around because they provide so much wisdom and learning and experience that they share with the younger children in the family. And the question really comes is, do you actually really believe you're part of God's family? And I think the question is, uh, whereabouts are you in the lineup? Are you a newborn child who's just come to faith? Or are you a petulant teenager who kicks and screams and has tantrums? Or are you growing into maturity and you're now, like adults, actually contributing to the life of the family and taking responsibility? Let's think about some of the implications for this and life at St. Matthew's. Firstly, you belong to a family, you don't just attend one. Now, I used to be a member of the SCG. Uh, My grandfather put me on the list and enrolled me when I was about 10 years old, or actually from birth, and when I was 10, I was a junior member. I actually ended up giving it up uh, when I was down in Wollongong because I could never actually get to the place. Now, the reality was it was a membership where you just attended when you wanted. You kind of paid a few dollars, and then when uh, games that you liked came up, you'd go off to the MCG, SCG, and you'd sit in the member stand and feel good about life, and you'd go home. And you really just attended. Um, And I think sometimes people think church is like that. I've kind of got an affiliation with St Matthew's. That's my church. I belong there. And uh, I put a few coins in the plate. And uh, when I think something's nice is on, I'll go down to church and I'll attend there. 
Now let me say, that is not how families work. You don't have children and members of a family who just turn up for dinner occasionally because they haven't got anything better to do. You actually live together and you do life together as family. And the reality is we actually need to move from attending to belonging when we join a church. There's a reality of attending. You come and you're new and you think, is this a place where I can belong? But the goal, given that we are family, is that you do belong. It takes a while when you're new, but we actually need to get to the stage of saying, actually, I'm not just attending, I belong here. I'm part of the family. Secondly, growth and maturity in belonging in a family means being, uh, not being served, sorry, Growth and belonging in a family means serving rather than being served. And you see, this is the reality in family life. What are you trying to help your children do as they grow up? Take on responsibility so they can mature and contribute. Because that's part of adulthood, that we contribute and we live interdependently, not independently, but interdependently, where we give and receive, not just receive. And it's the same in family life in the church. The goal really is for us as church members to grow up into maturity and move from infants and teenagers who just want to do what we want to actually saying, how can I serve and be involved here for the benefit of others? How can I actually help younger Christians grow so they're growing in maturity? We need to grow from being dependent on others for our food and growth to interdependent whereby we give and receive in fellowship with others. I write in my notes, too many churches are filled with adolescent teenagers. That's a great reality. I wonder, what attitude do you bring to church each week and each year? Is it what can the church do for me or is it how can I serve my brothers and sisters in Christ as a member of the family. And then the last one, occasional versus regular. Uh, When you're a part of a family, you do life together. And there's no doubt that if we were in a country where Christians were persecuted for their faith and you observe them, you would note that they meet as often as they can, often at great cost. You see, the great reality is in a country where you're persecuted for being a Christian, you are desperate to meet with other believers so that you can continue to hold on to your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, falling away in those countries and falling away from your faith really amounts to you stop meeting with other Christians. But you'll note they will find interesting places to meet in, interesting hours to meet in. It's the history of the early church. They often met very early in the morning. But they kept meeting together because it was essential for their spiritual life. And when you go to persecuted countries, uh, they love at great cost to meet as much as they can so that they can encourage each other in the faith. But here in Australia, where there's so many options and we won't be locked up for meeting together with other Christians, the biggest danger... For us as Christians, his church will inconvenience us. Everything is very grey. And it's no wonder that compromise sets in. It's interesting, I talk to ministers and sometimes we have a whinge to each other about church life. And look, typically I say life's great here at St Matthews, I've got no complaints. Um, We love being here. 
But one of the common topics of discussion is, what is it for a regular to come to church? It used to be every week, and the keen ones came twice on Sunday. It was then one in two. Uh, Often it's now one in three. People think I'm being regular. And I just want to say to people, um, thank you for those who come every week. Because it is wonderful. And there are faces I see here every week. And I just want to say, well done and keep it up. There are some who struggle for a variety of reasons. It's health or you've got an unbelieving spouse and it's just difficult to get here. But for others, um, you just like to go away on weekends. Kids have sport on, kids have parties on. You like to go away. There's sporting competitions on. You've got this on, you've got that on. You like to go away. And we end up fitting church into our busy life. And I want to say to us all um, this morning, does it matter? Now, the reason it does matter is not probably what you think I'm going to say. It's not because I want to have a big church. It matters because it actually affects your faith. You see, a healthy family meets together. And if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, it means you're part of the family. And you actually won't grow when you're not in regular fellowship with other members of the family. You just can't. We actually need each other to grow, and part of the growth is actually turning up to worship together and learn together and being in small group together. And if you've got kids, it profoundly affects their faith when church becomes an optional extra. And you see, they're learning from you not by what you tell them, but by what you do. And you see, one of the things we made a decision with our family was the only time I'm not a professional Christian, if I can put it that way, is when we're on holidays. And it's the only time I can actually choose not to go to church. Like it or not, I've actually got to turn up here every Sunday. (laughs) The one day I can choose not to is actually the day I really must go. And so we've gone to all sorts of church services in our holidays. We've had ones where the notices went for 20 minutes and they talked about monkeys in the fridge. You ask my kids, they'll tell you about it. It's never been forgotten. But we go because... I want the kids to know I'm a Christian first before I'm a pastor. And we worship on a Sunday, irregardless of how expensive it is where we're going, which typically is not. Um, But we want them to know that part and parcel of our identity is that we're followers of the Lord Jesus. But let me finish by saying, what if we really believed we're a family and we came every week? What would church be like? And let me just say, not just came every week, actually came early so that everyone was here before the music started. What would church be like? I want you to think about that and really take that to heart. That every week you turned up here, do you know one of the realities would be we couldn't fit you all in? There would be a greater sense of joy. Your fellowship would be deeper because you'd actually have better relationships with people. Your kids would have a far superior experience of kids' church because they would see the same children every week and build incredible bonds of friendship, which is so profoundly important in their life together. And you see, one of the great realities in terms of bringing kids up is that they form Christian community and have those bonds of friendship that will take them through into adulthood. But that's enough from me. I want to open the microphone up um, and just allow some people to encourage us by them sharing about their experience of being part of the family here. So if you'd like to share something, um, that'd be great. Now, we are slightly behind today. 
But I did want to say, Kate Fletcher emailed me and said she'd love to share something. So if only one person gets to share, Kate, it's you. I'm not going to sit because I do want you all to see me because I've got a lot of things to say about the experience I've had this year. Many of you know that my husband died in January very suddenly and it was a big shock to, to, to us all, you, my family, as much as me. I'm just going to read some of the ways that you've helped me and I'm very, very grateful. There were cards, lots and lots of cards. There were prayers and I know they continue. There, were chi- there was childcare help and there continues to be. Meals, lots and lots and lots of meals. There was shopping. There were drives to and from the hospital when I realised that it wasn't really safe for me, for me to be doing that. Gifts of money. Vouchers for special frivolous things that I wouldn't have done for myself. There was lugging rocks. Boys, thank you for lugging the rocks. There was lots of maintenance. There was lots of building work around my house. That's financial advice. Some of the financial advice was how are you going to manage? But thanks to you, I'm managing. Kids' activities have been organised, provided for, paid for, and I've had heaps of help with that. Ballet, tutoring, piano, all sorts of things. Um, There's been administrative support. People have helped me organise rosters, organise financial support, um, fishing, bike riding, just all the fun stuff that dads do for their kids that my dad can't do for my children anymore. There's been help with that. There's been babysitting help, sometimes overnight, when I had to work late. There's been encouraging texts, lots and lots of those as well, and I appreciate every single one of them. In about March, when all of this was flooding through, the children said to me, Mummy, why why are so many people helping us? Why are they doing so much for us? And I couldn't answer straight away. Not because they didn't know, but simply because I was so overwhelmed when I was thinking about it. And then I was able to say to them, because all these friends of ours are also our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we're a family, so when, we, they, when anyone in a family hurts, everybody hurts. And that's what our family at church are feeling for us. They know that we're hurting and they're there for us. And they want to show that in all these practical, meaningful ways. Sometimes, of course, it's not us, the one that's hurting. We get the chance to give. It's, it's, I've read somewhere, it's like a river. God's love in a family is like a river, and that's what we feel is happening for us. When, on January the 30th, when we waved goodbye to Steve, there were so many people here, and it wasn't just my church family. It was my church family beyond this church family from other churches we've been involved with and it was also my school community and friends from outside and they continue to be gobsmacked by the amount of support that I've had from my church family. It's a huge witness. So I just, I I do want to thank you Um, but I was able to say to them It's because we're part of a family, a spiritual family, that have cared for our practical support needs in all sorts of ways. 
So thank you for being part of my family. I love you all. I don't think I'll get someone to speak after that. Can I just say, Kate, it's, thank you very much for sharing that because we are family and it's wonderful to hear uh, the stories which I've known but I think it's great to encourage each other here. Um, and if I can just wrap up by saying, don't just be an attender here. Actually, you need to belong because we're family. Don't just be served, but serve others. That's what it means to be part of the family. Let's stand and let's sing. And if you've got other stories about how you've experienced being family, let me encourage you, come on outside afterwards and share them with the people over a cup of tea. But let's worship God. It's our offertory song. Time to put the connect cards in. Let's finish on that wonderful note.